if you have been if you have been with us since the start of this year, you will know that our theme for this year is together we follow Jesus. And if we follow Jesus, it has to look like something. You can't just say, I follow Jesus in my heart and it doesn't affect anything else. So if you follow Jesus, there are six things we say in this church about what following Jesus looks like. Number one, you got to be obedient to Him, right? You can't say, I follow Jesus and then fight with Him over everything, right? Um, number two, your spirituality must be a priority, reading your Bible and praying regularly. Number three, you are in a community like this, and maybe even more than this, but belonging to a small group, accountable and not a lone ranger in the kingdom. Number four, you have a testimony of God's good work in your life, and you are a testimony of God's good work in your life. And number five, you serve out of, not as a duty, but you serve out of the overflow of what God has been pouring into you. It comes back out. And then to reproduce all of these five things in someone whom you are journeying with. This is what it means for us to be following Jesus. Amen? Amen. So this, this morning, I just want to bring you into one of these six things, which is being obedient to Jesus. Now, I've entitled today's sermon, The Bay in Your Obey. Right? Can you everybody say this with me? One, two, three. The Bay in Your Obey. Now, I see some of the uncles and aunties giving me this um, uh, uh, strange, this disapproving look like, Pastor, you typed that wrong. You got a typo there. No, I don't have a typo there. This word, bay, is a modern-day term of endearment, okay? It is, for us today, what was probably in your day, darling, yeah? So you say to your wife and husband, darling, okay? So, so kids this day say, bay, you my bay, right? Uh, uh, bay, where are we going uh, 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 this weekend for dinner, that kind of thing. So bay... Um, I checked up Urban Dictionary, so I don't get this wrong, right? Uh, Bay stands for before anyone else. How many of you? Yeah, Bay stands for before anyone else. How many for you, Jesus is before anyone else? Yeah, yeah. So if Jesus stands before anyone else, then can I say this? Jesus, be the Bay in your obey. Amen? Amen? All right. Now, today I'm going to preach about obedience. But a weird thing about preaching about obedience is this. Almost every sermon is a sermon on obedience, right? So it's going to be a bit strange. So let me tell you from the outset what today's sermon is not, okay? Today's sermon is not about the exact words and instructions that Jesus wants us to obey. For example, today is not about obeying Jesus in your marriage or in your finances or in the way you, you speak or, or, and all that. So today is not, by the way, Next week, we begin our, our pulpit series on, this, uh, on studies on, this, on the book of Matthew. It's only 28 chapters long, and, and it's going to last us all the way from next week, all the way through to the first week of December. It's going to be the whole year. So we have the whole year to learn from Jesus all the many ways in which He wants us to obey. Today is not that sermon. Today is also not a sermon about the benefits of obeying Jesus, for which there are many and for which we should take very seriously. But today is not that sermon about the upshot of it, about the payoff of living in obedience 
Today is not that sermon. So if today's sermon was a car, or rather if obedience was a car, then today is not about where the car goes. Today is not about how fun it is, where we're going to go. But today we're going to keep the car in the garage. We're going to pop open the bonnet. We're going to look into exactly how this engine works, how obedience works. And we're going to rip open the, the engine, go right into the pistons and see what fires up our obedience to Jesus. Along the way, we'll see some of the tensions that, that exist in our hearts when, when God challenges to obey something and we feel the desire to be disobedient. You know, what is actually going on inside us? That's today's sermon. Amen? So, <coughs> excuse me. So as I think about this whole topic of obedience, I want to present it to you in three general headings, right? Three big uh, kind of like thoughts. And these are the three. Why don't you read it together with me? Can you read this together with me, third service? Louder than second service, louder than first service. Can we do that? First one, we obey. One, two, three. We obey when we love. Second one, we obey first, ask why later. Third one, obey Jesus over everything else. So if you want to say above anyone else, right? So these are the three thoughts. I'm sure you've got questions. We'll get to them in a moment. For now, we obey when we love. If you've got your Bibles, can you turn with me to John chapter 14? And as you're turning to your Bibles, I'm going to share with you that um, yesterday, before the first service, I was, before preaching, I was hanging out in the church office with Pastor Susie, talking with her, and she asked me, Fergus, as God led you to uh, preach on obedience, what was God teaching you to obey Him in? Wow, scared or oh. stand next to her. Can, can, don't, dare, don't dare to hang out with Susie after this, right? <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, actually, actually I've got the answer. Because this whole week was Chinese New Year week. And the week before that was also a very busy week. So actually, when I woke up in the morning and it was my time to do my daily devo and to be hooked to my book and to, and to, and to stay on my Bible reading plan, all my impulses were to go to my preaching text and start working with my Bible on my sermon coming up at Chinese New Year weekend, right? So, but God really kind of like leaned into me gently but firmly and said, Fergus, you won't preach. You won't read your Bible. I don't want you to read your Bible like a professional. I want you to read your Bible like a lover of Jesus. So will you stay on your Bible reading plan and read? And I, and I, and I pulled it open and I was on 1 Samuel. And I was thinking, God, I don't want to read 1 Samuel. God, I want to go to my preaching text, you know. And he said, no, you stay on this. You read this to love me. Until 9 o'clock, your time is for me. After that, you can work on your preaching text. So, so Pastor Sus, that was what uh, God was teaching me to obey um, as I went along. And you, you know what? All my preaching texts ended up being from my morning devo. So God is so good, right? So, so good to me. Yeah. Um, if you are at John chapter 14, let's read verses 15 onwards together. I like, I like reading from my hard copy Bible, so I'm going to do that. And we'll do this together. Verses 15. Have you got that? Alright, let's read this together. One, two, three. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and He will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, 
because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I, sorry, verse, yes, let's drop down to verse 21, okay, and let's read this together. One, two, three. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of this word. Now, if you've been following me on the screen, you would have noticed that I've highlighted four lines for you, right? And these are the four lines. And when I see them, they are all saying the same thing. Verse 15, if you obey me, you will keep my commandments. 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. 24 is the flip side of it. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. You know, when I see these four lines, it kind of reminds me of those kind of old school logic uh, uh, um, uh, formulas. You know, the one that goes, premise A, um, let's say all elephants have trunks, right? Premise B, Dumbo is an elephant. So the conclusion is, Dumbo has a trunk, right? We got this? Okay, this is the baseline of all logic, all mathematics. Uh, it, it, it all crunches down to, to basic logics like this, okay? So when I saw those four lines, I started to think to myself, hey, this sounds like one of those. Let me try it, right? So premise A, if you love Jesus, you will obey Him, right? Premise B, you love Jesus, Conclusion, you will obey him, right? Let me try that one more time in a different kind of uh, example. Premise A is the same. If you love Jesus, you will obey him. Premise B, let me make up a name. Say Jojo. Any Jojos here? No Jojos here, right? If there's a Jojo here, I'm sorry, okay? I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm just borrowing your name, yeah? Premise A, if you love Jesus, you will obey him. Premise B, Jojo doesn't obey Jesus. Conclusion, Jojo doesn't really obey, doesn't really love Jesus. Jojo may say she loves Jesus, but she doesn't really love Jesus. She may declare, you know, she may be a professing lover of Jesus. She may say it to the whole world, but because premise B says she does not obey Jesus, the conclusion is that Jojo doesn't really love Jesus. Are we okay with this, SIBKL? Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my word. Amen? So what does this really mean? Where, where am I going with this? It really is going here. That your obedience to Jesus is the evidence of your love. After all, it's so easy, right? Talk is so cheap. You can say, I love Jesus. Three words, so easy to say. I love Jesus. I really love Jesus. You can tell the whole world you love Jesus. How do you know that your profession of love is for real? How does Jesus know that when you say you love Him, you are genuine about your love? 
only when you obey. That is the evidence for your love. But friends, I'm sure some of you are sitting there thinking, wow, how come love got all the evidence and must have proof on, is it? I tell you something, pastor, you know, I am the different kind of guy. I'm, I'm the kind of guy, I don't need to prove my love to anybody, you want. Yeah, I don't need to prove my love to you. I don't need to prove my love to Pastor Chiu. I don't need to prove my love to anybody. I love Jesus. Jesus knows. I'm fine. Yeah, don't tell me to prove my love. Friends, will that fly? Will that fly? Well, I'll have you know this, right? It's true to this extent. You don't have to prove your love of Jesus to me, right? Because I'm just a pastor in the church, right? What am I? But, but you've got your proof, your love to the one to whom you profess love. The person whom you say you love has to be able to see and know and feel that you love them. And so Jesus wants you to show Him. So you still owe Him the proof of your love. By the way, He wants the proof of your love, which is obedience, to happen in a publicly visible way. So you may be proving your love to Him, but everybody should be able to see it. How do I know this? Well, you're going to discover in Matthew chapter 5 that Jesus says that you are the light of the world and, and so let your light shine before all men that they may what? See your good works and praise your Father in heaven. So no, friends, this whole, I don't have anything to prove to anybody that won't fly. Okay, now maybe one or two of you are thinking, Pastor, no la Pastor, you know what? I love Jesus in my heart, you know? I love Him in my heart, that's good enough, Pastor, you know? He knows one, and I know it's happening inside here, I know, it's good enough, right? All this outside, outside one, no need. SIBKL, will this fly? Okay la, if you're not sure how to answer, let me give you an illustration. Bachelors, unmarried men, can you give me a little wave? Why none of you wave? Only so few wave. I see some young boys there waving, yeah? Chap Gome coming, you better wave, right? <laughs> Unmarried man, imagine with me now, you have been dating this girl for three, four years, right? And you go up to her one day, and you tell her, hey babe, or rather, hey babe, right? Uh, we've been going out for a few years now, and you know you keep asking me, how, where is this going? Huh? When are we going to get married? You know, where, I, I don't see where this is going. I'm not sure what's happening. Uh, let me tell you what's happening, right? This is what I want it, where I want it to go. I want to marry you in my heart. And then you can marry me in your heart as well. And then we will both be married to each other in our heart. All this wedding, all this very expensive, very nonsense one, no need one. And, and by the way, all the sign, uh, legal, legal, all the kind of thing, uh, no need one. We'll both be married to each other in my heart. Can or not, babe? Can not. SIBKL, will that fly? No, no right? Hey, bachelors, I don't hear you. Will that fly? Why, well, hear the girls one, yeah? Bachelors, I double dare you, okay? I double dare you. Go to her father and say that. Huh. Die, man. Of course it won't fly. This all, I love you only in my heart. It doesn't have to show. Won't fly, 
right? And I know maybe among this crowd here, one of you is thinking, Pastor, no lah, no lah. Actually, uh, if God really loves me, right, then I'm sure He will understand. He will understand that sometimes it's too hard for me to obey Him. And, but He still loves me one. I know this. He's very understanding one. He, he, he will know when it's too hard. Yeah? SRBKL, will this fly? No? No? Sure not. No. Balcony, will this fly? No? You're not sure why? Let me give you a picture. Imagine God saying this, right? Son, I know you're very stressed at work. Son, I know, I, I know that you are a very strong man and sometimes you find it hard to control your body. Son, I know that after a hard day of work and a long night of drinking, you go home and your wife says some things, they don't sound nice to you. Every once in a while, you got to just beat her up, right? But son, don't so much lah, okay? And beat also must be con- controlled a little bit, okay, boy? Not so much. Try, try, don't, okay, can, cannot, boy? Is that our God? Yeah, I'm, so few, oh, Pastor Lee Chu. I'm very scared, oh, S-I-B-K-L. This year, we want to follow Jesus, like. S-I-B-K-L, is that your God? No. no. No, of course no. That won't fly, right? This whole thing, oh, God will understand me if I'm a sinner and I keep on saying, it won't fly, right? This is not how obedience works. So how does obedience work? We're going to look at it. Now, if I were to ask you guys, SRBKL, do you all love Jesus or not? Yes. yes, right? Everybody will say, I love Jesus, right? Everybody will, I don't even have to ask. I know all of you will say, I love Jesus. But how do we know you love Jesus? Well, loving Jesus has to begin somewhere, okay? So let me keep it very simple. To love Jesus, first you need to have an encounter with Him. By the way, I'm not talking about a supernatural encounter where, where the presence hits you. You cry for 15 hours and then you get carried up to the third heaven. I'm not talking about that, okay? I'm talking about like, dude, if, you wanna, if, you, if you're going to fall in love with a girl, you got to meet her first, right? Okay? It's that. You got to meet Jesus first. And for some of you, you met Jesus when a friend brought him into a conversation with you. That's how you met Jesus. For some of you, you met Jesus because a friend dragged you along to church and that's how you met Jesus. And for some of you, you met Jesus because somewhere in your house, someone left a Bible lying around and you opened it up and read it and you met Jesus on those pages, right? But somewhere or rather, you encountered Him. And over repeated exposure to Him, you slowly come to know Him. You know Him. You know what kind of personality you are dealing with, what kind of God He is. Or as I shared with you three weeks ago, you know what He stands for, you know what He can't stand, right? And you don't just know this generally, you know it personally. You know He says to you, Son, my daughter, I'm for you. I'm not against you. You know He says to you, I have a plan for you. A plan to prosper you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. You know He says to you, Son, my daughter, I'm your good shepherd. I will lay down my life for you. He says, nothing shall separate you from my love. So you know it. Now you know His personal love for you and then you experience it. You 
taste it, you savor it, you realize and come to personally know it tastes so good. You say to him, God, thank you. I was a sinner, but you forgave me. You've seen me at my worst, but you still love me. God, you, you, I was broken. My body was broken and you healed me. I was, I was destitute and you sent people to provide for me. Thank you. You have experienced His love. And after you've experienced His love and you experience it again and again, eventually you learn to trust Him. You learn to trust Him. And if you're the note-taking kind, this is the, probably the most important line you could write in your journal this morning is that trusting Jesus means that you know that He has your best interests at heart. Jesus always has your best interests at heart. That's why He says in Romans chapter 8 that, that for those who love Him, for those who are called according to His purpose, what? All things will work for your good. Why? Because when you love Him and you obey Him, He has your best interests. All things will work. What? For your good. Even when you think, I know better. Jesus, I know how to do money better. No, He knows better. Jesus, I know how to do my sex life better. No, Jesus knows better. Jesus, I know how to do my marriage better. No, Jesus knows better. He always does. Amen? And it's only when you trust Him, God, I trust you. You're good. I've seen you. I know you. Then you order your life and make decisions based on how you trust Him. That's when you can say, you obey Jesus. And this becomes the evidence of your love for Him. SIBKL, I ask you a second time. Do you love Jesus? Balcony, do you love Jesus? If you love Jesus, you will obey Him. Amen? We love and we obey those whom we love. Now, before I go move on to the next point, I <clears throat> just wanted to share with you a little story. Over Chinese New Year, my wife and I were at an open house, um, and we were talking to, to one of the sisters in, in our church. So we were talking with her, and, um, and she said, and they were talking about parenting, right? And so she said to my wife that children need boundaries, okay? And it's kind of the thing that I know, but when I heard it, and there I was holding siu yok in one hand and a lychee punch in the other hand, and I was just standing there going, oh, children need boundaries, that's right. And God immediately dropped it into my heart, said, Fergus, you are my child. Yes. Fergus, do you know my boundaries for you? And I thought, God, I hope I do, Lord. God, I, I, I think I do. Okay, God, I think I do. And then open house was over. And then throughout the rest of the day, God continued to speak to me in this. And He continued to press in and ask me this question. Fergus, imagine for a moment that you receive no prophetic word for one whole year. Do you know me well enough to obey me? God, I think I do. I hope I do. Fergus, imagine if you receive no rhema word or no fresh revelation would you know my boundaries enough to still obey me? God, I think I do. And then he said to me, Fergus, all relationships are defined by their boundaries. Do you know the boundaries that define your relationship to me as a follower of Jesus? When you know me well, you don't need to keep running to me to ask me so, so that prophetic word or not, now I love prophetic word, Prophetic word or not, 
you will still know how to obey Jesus. Rhema word or not, fresh revelation or not, you will always know the boundaries around which you follow Jesus. Now, now my wife, my dear wife is with the kids, right? And I love her. We've been married for eight years, moving into nine years now. And I've spent many years getting to know her, right? So if having known her for so many years, I don't need to keep going to her to ask her, babe, what would you like, what kind of restaurant would you like to go if you're going to go out to eat uh, dinner or eat lunch today, right? Because I know not to suggest Korean fried chicken, right? That won't fly. Because why? Because I know her already, right? I know her boundaries already. Anything with broccoli flies, right? Anything with that's healthy flies. Pokeball flies, right? Right? So I know these things, right? So 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 the same applies with God. If you've been walking with Jesus long enough, you will know, intuitively know what his boundaries are. Amen. We obey when we love. Amen? Now, the next point is this. The next point, obey first, ask why later. Why don't you say this with me? One, two, three. Obey first, ask why later. Now, it was uh, three weeks ago now that Pastor Isaac was on here, was on the pulpit, and uh, at the pulpit, <laughs> and he was preaching from Luke chapter 5. And he was preaching about the wow and the bow and the vow. You guys remember that one? Yeah, so good. I was sitting in the front row, and as he opened up Luke chapter 5, I saw something that made me so excited that I told myself, man, I got to open this up for all of us to see one more time so we can all see it together. Luke chapter 5 looks like this. Why don't we read this together? Can you read this while I take a sip of water? One, two, three. They caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. <clears throat> so this is what's happening. Now, I remember when Pastor Isaac was sharing this, and he said something to this effect, that it is so preposterous that a carpenter would walk into the trading space of a fisherman and tell the fisherman how to do his job, right? Now, just think about it. If, if a carpenter walked into your place of work and started telling you, this is how you file taxes, this is how you draft your legal documents, this is how you do it, you'd be like, whoa, back off, back off, wait a minute. Why should I listen to you, right? Why should I listen to you? What do you know about my trade, right? Don't tell me how to do my job. I know how to do my job very fine, right? How do you think Simon Peter would have felt that Jesus walks into his space and tells him how to do his work? How many wives would he have had, right? I can think of one. The first one is this. Why should I listen to you, right? You're just a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. I know how to fish. You don't know how to fish. Just stay on your carpentry, right? That's his first thing. Next thing is this. Why, why must go deep? Why, why, must, why not deeper, 
Huh? Why not over there? Huh? Why, why at this time? Why you now then you tell me to fish? I've been fishing all night, you know. Some more now is not the time to catch fish, you know. Why should I fish now? Why not shallower? Why not over there? Why not in another body of water? Why must you ask me to do this? Right? But what is Simon Peter's response? He says this, we've been catching fish all night, we've got nothing. But because you say so, I will let down my nets. That's it. Because you said so, I let down my nets. What is this that I see in this picture? Obey first. Ask why later. Did he have whys? I'm sure he did. But he helped them back. Did he have to even ask them? No. Because when the haul of fish was so big, so heavy, that, that Peter's response when he got back to the shore was not to go, why ah? Why so many fish ah? Why you ask me to? Right? His only response was to fall at the feet and, and be wowed by him and to bow before him and to vow to follow him all the days of his life. Amen? Obey first. Ask why later. Now, my first encounter with this idea of obeying first came many years ago here in SIBKL where I was sitting in the pews um, of CP Tower just up the road, right? It must have been 04, 05, around those years. And I remember it was Pastor Charlie. He was a pastor in our church in those days. Pastor Charlie was preaching about obedience. And he gave us this illustration. He said this, Imagine you're all on a naval warship, Right? and you're in the middle of battle, and suddenly, your commanding officer says, everybody down on the decks, right? So everybody goes down on the decks. Would you say, why, ah? Huh? <laughs> why must go down? Not comfortable or go down. I don't like going down. Can sit on chair. This chair quite comfortable. Or maybe I'll sit on chair. Why can sit on that bench? That bench quite far away. Or maybe, maybe I'll go and sit on the bench. I'm still eating lunch. Or can I lie down on the deck after I eat lunch? Or very mafan, you know, you suddenly... Would you ask all those questions? No, right? You just... Commanding officer says, everyone down on the decks. Boom. Everyone goes down on the decks. And then what happens? Missile fire goes above you. And then you say, oh, thank God I went to SIBKL and I learned to obey first and ask why later, right? You laugh, right? Actually, yesterday after the first service, this sister came up to me and told me, Pastor Ferks, that story that you told, I have a friend who is a missionary. She and her husband were living in a very dangerous place. And they were in their house one day, they had five kids, and all very young, right, about five, six, seven, that kind of age, right? And, and I know how difficult it is, right, to, to, to have three kids, never mind five, you know, at this age, to get everyone to respond and obey, right? So one day, they just had a sudden prompting, get down. And so they just shouted out to their kids, everybody down, down, down. And all the kids, so well-trained, I tell you, I tabate them. Their kids, so well-trained, all of them went down on the floor. And in a matter of seconds, gunfire. Bullets came in through the windows, came in through the doors, came in through the glass. Bullet marks all around the walls of their house. And they stayed there on the ground, pressed against the ground, afraid but thankful, looking out for each other, and they stayed on the ground that whole day, that whole night, until the next morning they got up and they fled from that house. I thank 
God, they knew how to obey first and ask why later. Amen? And for some of us, the margins might even be like that, life and death. So I pray that we will really all catch this idea. You know, for us, raising three kids is something that ever since I heard Pastor Charlie's uh, 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 illustration, I tried to apply it with my kids. So, I've, so ever since Izzy was very young, I already tried, uh, 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 already I've been training them, obey first. Ask why later. And some days it's going to look like this, right? Like, hey, son, can you go upstairs and, and, and change first, right? Can you hurry and go upstairs and change first? Why? Why? No, son, can you just go upstairs? Why? Son, can you agree first? Can you, can, I just want to hear you agree first. Okay, Papa, I'll do it. But why? Good. Because it's going to rain. I see the thunder coming, you know. I want to get on the road before it rains very heavily. Ah, okay. Then he goes up, right? So some days it can look very mundane like that. But it is in the training of obedience to obey first, ask why later, that I pray that all of us, even our lives, will be saved one day because of that. Amen? Amen. All right, now, remember just now I said to you that obeying Jesus, this word obedience can be a bit like, mm, you know, you don't really know, like these days it's a little bit, I don't know, maybe obedience is a little bit unfashionable these days, right? Like, like this idea of obedience, this, it's like maybe it brings up memories, bad memories of an authoritarian figure, someone who, who, who was a bit harsh with you. Maybe it brings back memories of being yanked around all your life, being forced to do things against your will, you know, and, 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 being, you know, and all that. So maybe this word obedience is not so popular anymore, right? Take, for example, if 50 years ago you asked a young parent, uh, they would probably have told you that, oh, I'm, I'm struggling to get my children to be obedient, right? These days, if you ask me and my peers, you'll probably hear us say, oh, I'm struggling to get my kids to, to, uh, to, 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 be, con- to be under control or something like that. So it's, it's a word that's going out of date, if you can say. It's kind of going out of our vocabulary. But it's in our vocabulary. It's in our Christian vocabulary. Does Jesus not say at the end of Matthew 28 that going to all the world, you know, make disciples, teaching them to obey. But I suspect one reason why this word is becoming not so nice and has a bit of that baggage. You know why? It's, it's related to what Simon Peter says, because you say so, I will let down my nets. And the line that we often use, sometimes abuse, is this, because I said so. Ah, this is... Confession time. I see some husbands and wives like, ah, you la, you la, always, right? Okay, confession time, S-I-V-K-L. Parents, how many of you, you have used this line on your kids, right? Yeah, 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 I see that. I see, I see the hand there. I see, no, I'm kidding, right? Um, because I said so, right? Right? Now, is it always wrong to say because I said so? Maybe not, but let me show you this, right? You can say because I said so in two different ways. And it can sound totally different. Let me show you. It all hinges on the way you say the word I. The way you say the word I said so. So you can say it this way. Because I said so. Which means that the I there is an I of hierarchy. The I is, a ha- is an I of rank. Because I said so. I'm your father. I said so. I pull rank on you. Right? Now, every time you pull rank and you say, because I said so, you drive a wedge between you and the listener. What you get is conformance. They will obey you externally. What you lose is their heart. They will say, okay, lo. you say until like that, win now, lo. I follow you, lo. 
but don't make me enjoy it. Don't make me love you more for it. I will just do for you to see. Right? Obedience is not external conformance. And we are not shooting for begrudging obedience. We are shooting for voluntary obedience among all of us as mature Christians, mature adults. Mature obedience is always voluntary. If you're training a young kid, then obedience training might sometimes be, be coerced or, 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 or you might train them in a way to obey. But once you have mature obedience, it is always voluntary. So what is the other way in which you can say, because I said so? It looks like this, that the eye is a relational eye. The eye is based on trust. Now, you know, sometimes you see these fried chicken ads and the chicken is extra big and then it says that for illustrative purposes only, right? I'm going to do a demo right now, but it's a bit overdramatic. I hope you excuse me, it is for illustrative purposes only, okay? So this is how you can do, because I said so, in a way that is relational. Son, this weekend, this party you're going to, I want you to leave the house by 10 o'clock. Oh, come on, Dad, that's so lame, I'm not going to do that. You know, everybody's going to be there, they're going to call me a wimp, they're going to call me a sissy. Son, no, come back, no, no, Dad, I don't want, I'm not, I'm going to stay back. Son, because I said so. That's the first way, right? That's the first way. You pull rank on them. Oh, come on, Dad, no, no, I'm not going to do it. Son, listen, son, do you know how much I love you? Come on, Dad, don't do this. Dad, son, son, I love you. Son, I love you so much. You know that, right? Yes. Yes, Dad, I know. Son, when you were one and you woke up, you woke up twice a night, every night for 10 months. And all those 10 months, every night I woke up half in my stupor. I went to your room and I rocked you and I carried you and I sang every last song that I knew would put you back to sleep. And I gently put you back on the bed. Son, that's how much I love you. Do you trust me, son? Oh, come on, dad. Son, Remember when you were in Standard 1, you got, you got into school and you were the small kid and all the bigger kids were kind of like pushing you around and taking your pencils and breaking them and stomping on your things and you got into the car every day and you were crying all the way home and I sat down with you and I wept with you and I told you, son, I coached you. This is how you stand up. Okay, this is how you, this is how you defend yourself. Okay, this is how you love your neighbor. Okay, this is how you love your enemy. Okay, and son, that is how much I love you. Do you trust me, son? Yes. Yes, dad, I do. You know, son, remember when you had that crush on that girl last month and, 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 and it all fell apart because, because you're 14, you know, and, <laughs> and you were crying and I came to you and I was crying with you and I told you about my own 14-year-old crush, which was not your mother, and we cried together. <laughs> Son, I had to preach that next day. It was a lot of time that I took to be with you. <laughs> Do you know how much I love you? Yes, yes, Dad, I know. Son, when I say because I say so, it's not anybody saying so. It's because I say so. I've, I've been pouring into your life, son. Have I no credit in the bank with you? If I know capital with you, that when I say, son, leave the house by 10, you would obey me. Without 20 questions, you would just say, yes, pa, 
I will do it. Son, will you obey me? Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad, I'll obey you. But, but why? Right? Why is this, son? See, obey first, ask why later. Why is this, son? Because when, because I know this house. I know your friend. I know his dad. I know there's going to be a lot of drinks in the house. And I also happen to know that both parents are out of town because I spoke to the dad in school last week. So I know a lot of things are going to go down after 10 o'clock. There might even be a raid. I don't want you there. Oh, okay. Okay. Fine. Thanks. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, by the way, I, I, I kind of daydream about having these conversations with my kids, you know. I'm such a nerd, right? Such a nerd. But when we talk about obey first, ask why later, I really want you to know, and I don't want you to hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying you cannot ask God questions. You know me, right? I ask the most questions, right? I'm not saying you can't wrestle with God, because Jacob wrestled with God. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't go prayerfully to God when you're facing decisions. You should, you must go prayerfully to God. What I'm saying is that in all your wrestling and asking and praying, that God is going to bring you to a point in your decision-making where you step on this line and beyond this line, there are no more answers. It's as if the why God dries up. There is no more answer. He stops speaking. And then you say, God, give me a good reason why I should take the next step. You've been giving me good reasons all this while. I want to make the next step. Give me a good reason. He says, no, son, beyond this line, I want you to trust me. I say, no, 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 God, you don't get it. If you gave me a good reason, it will help me make the next step and obey you. And then he says, precisely why I'm not going to give you a good reason. Because if I did that for you, your next step will be trusting in my good reason, not trusting in me. And Jesus is saying to us, when I don't answer your why, or when I ask you to hold on your why and obey first, it's because I want you to trust me. Friends, Obey first, ask why later. Amen? And I've got to quickly move on to the last point. Obey Jesus above anyone else. If Jesus is the bay in your obey, you will love him and obey him over everything else above anyone else. Amen? Amen? You know, I thank God that I obeyed him to read my Bible and do my daily devotions, you know, because I spent the whole of last week, this week, in 1 Samuel. And I was in 1 Samuel, and 1 Samuel really is a portrait of King Saul's disobedience, at least the first 15, 18 chapters. It's about King Saul's disobedience. Now, this guy, you just can't give him a mission and get him to see it through to the end properly, right? So we see in 1 Samuel 13, now, let me paint you the picture. King Saul is leading Israel out into battle. And they've won a bit, they've lost a lot. So they're backed against the wall now. And then Samuel says, I will come to you in seven days. And I will offer the burnt offering and the peace offering. You don't offer the offering because you're a king. I offer the burnt offering because I am a priest. Only priests can do that. Seven days come. 
And then King Saul is like, where is Samuel? What's he doing? Why is he not here yet? Still on the seventh day. And then his people start to grumble. They start to abandon him. And he says, cannot ready lah. Fella not going to come ready lah. Tension ready. Bring me the goat. Bring me the sheep. And then what does he do? He offers the sacrifice himself. And as soon as he offers the sacrifice, what, who should walk in but the prophet Samuel? Saying to him, King Saul, what have you done? Why didn't you obey me? I told you, wait for me seven days. What did he say? He said, people start to leave ready, Lord. You take so long. Some of your fault, man, that I disobey is your fault because you took so long. But how he came in within the seven days, right? And this, you see here, a picture of disobedience. What is happening inside King Saul that led him to this disobedience? Was it fear of losing control because people were starting to leave him? Fear of losing face? Fear of losing influence? Or was it a bit of impatience? I think there's no small part of impatience there. Cannot wait until the full seven days are up. Didn't trust Samuel. Didn't trust God. This is a portrait of his disobedience in 1 Samuel 13. But I tell you what, God is so kind, right? Two chapters later, it's as if Samuel is giving him a second chance. A second chance. Now, now the mission is that God has appointed for the destruction of the Amalekites. And God says, the way I'm going to do it, I'm going to send you to war with the Amalekites and destroy everybody. Everybody and everything means all the people and all the livestock. Destroy them all. King Saul says, okay, I'll do it. I'll do it. Sure win one with God on our side. So they went. And he won. And then he destroyed. He destroyed. But almost everything. But he didn't destroy. He didn't kill the king. Kept the king alive. And then the ugly tempang punya animals, all he killed. But then the nice juicy steak, he didn't kill, right? Not steak lah. The, 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 the lamb, the nice cattle. All he kept alive. And then who should walk in but... The prophet Samuel, right? And saying, King Saul, what is this bleating of sheep I hear in my ears? What have you done? Why didn't you destroy everything? And you know what King Saul can say? He can what bodo some more, you know? Oh, where God? Where God? I kill everything, ma. I destroy everything, ma. See, I destroy everything. Only I left the king alive and the, and the best livestock alive. No, 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 no. Why did you not destroy God? I destroy everything. You can't see me. I destroy everything, you know. I only left the king alive. No, why did you leave the king alive? I told you destroy everything. Everything means everything. Why is the king still alive? Oh. King also my, oh yeah, oh. And why is the livestock still alive? Oh, livestock, that one. Oh, because I see very nice. I want to offer to God, ma. Right? Right? Must give your best to Jesus, ma. Right? And what does the prophet Samuel say? God doesn't want that sacrifice. He doesn't want that sheep for... No, no, but very good. No, he doesn't want that sacrifice. He wants your heart. He doesn't want that. This is where you get the phrase, obedience is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel chapter 15. He doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your heart. He wants you to obey. And so what, does, what happens at the end? After all this back and forth and back and forth and back and forth, eventually King Saul says, okay, it's true. He admitted, I feared the people. I obeyed their voice. Friends, this is a picture of King Saul. Fear of losing control, 
impatient, greedy, maybe no small amount of materialism, lust of the eyes, see nice things, want to keep, afraid of public opinion over him, refusing to own up when he's done something wrong. Friends, when we are disobedient, do we look like this? When we don't want to listen to Jesus, do we look like this? Because my prayer is that for us, our obedience will always be first to God, not to the voices of the soldiers saying, so nice, surely you can't kill, must keep, must keep, nice one, must keep, right? But his obedience, our obedience should always be first to God, first to God, then to anyone else. Now, when I, at night, every night, before I pray, before, before I go to bed, when my kids are going to go to sleep, that's my favorite time of the, of the day, by the way, I try to put my kids to sleep whenever possible. And when I put them to sleep, this kind of like this rhythm, you know, that I'll get them all to pray by themselves first. And then after that, I'll lay hands on each of them and I'll bless them. And I'll bless them this way. The starting is always the same. The ending is always the same. The middle is where I'm going, right? So, so I will bless them this way. I'll say, Isabel, sweetheart, Elliot, Eleanor, I bless you with courage. I bless you with strength. I bless you with righteousness. I bless you with honor. I bless you with a hunger for God's word. I bless you with a thirst for his spirit. And then I will go in, go in, go in, but I will always end this way. I bless you with obedience. First to God, then to Mama and Papa. Always ends that way. Why? Because I've learned in my life that obedience to God is the most important thing. And I've started it really, really young with these fellas because I wanted it to be so that from the get-go that my authority comes under God's authority in my house, that I will never set it up so that I become an idol of authority who sits even above God in my household. Because you know what? God forbid the day ever comes when one of my children comes up to me and says, as an adult, says, Pa, I've heard a word from God and it's been confirmed over and over again for me to make this decision with my life and to do this or to go someplace. And because it's outside of my courage scale, right, it freaks me out. My flesh is afraid. I say, no, you won't go. Let someone else's son go, not you. I won't risk you into this. God forbid, God forbid I ever stand in the way of my children's obeying God. So if you're a parent here, especially if you're a young parent or an aspiring parent among my young adults, I want to encourage you, always set it up in your family so that you curb your own powers so that they are always sitting underneath God. Obey God first, then Papa and Mama, then anyone else. Sure, the day will come when you have to obey a HR policy, but above that, you obey God. Sure, the day will come when you will obey a university policy, but above that, you obey God. You obey the government in this land, but above that, you obey God. You obey your father and mother, but above that, you obey God. If anyone violates a word of God, you obey God first. Obedience is first to God. Amen. Friends, I've reached the end of my sermon and I really want us to close with this one thought. That as we talk so much about obedience, it's very easy to start thinking of obedience as 
a doing thing. I have so many things to do, so many things to do throughout the whole Matthew series. I want us to have our hearts oriented correctly. Obedience is not a doing thing. You don't do obedience. You do things in obedience. Obedience is not a doing thing. Obedience is a posture of trust. It is a constant posture of trust. And maybe when we ask ourselves, am I obedient? We are asking the wrong question. Because when we ask that question and seek the answers, we go to individual acts of doing to see if we have the right answer. But maybe I can give you a better question. Maybe the better question is this, am I the obedient kind? SIBKL, are we the obedient kind? Because in seeking an answer, you look at a whole body of life decisions and then you know that your posture, if your posture has been soft and trusting in the Lord or not. SIBKL, are we the obedient kind? All eyes closed, all heads bowed. This is not an altar call for salvation, but I want to present before you an opportunity to respond to God. If there is an issue in your life, a situation in your life, where God is prompting you in the direction of obedience, but you don't know how to do it, you've got a lot of questions why you should do it, and you've been wrestling and tussling with God for a while now, and you sense the Lord saying, my child, on this issue, will you obey me first? I will show you why later. And as you want to say to God, God, I want to obey you first, can I invite you to rise to your feet? And as you stand to your feet, you are saying, Jesus, I don't know if I have the strength to obey you all the way, but I want to obey. I want to obey you first. I want to trust you more. I want to trust you in this particular matter in my life. Jesus, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Jesus, I am obedient, but help me with my disobedience. Jesus, come into my life. Woo me into obedience. Pursue me into obedience. I stand back. I allow you, Lord. Wash over me. Woo me into obedience. Transform me. I can't transform myself. Only your spirit can transform me. Even upstairs in the balcony, if any of you want to respond, you want to stand up as a, as a commitment to Jesus that I want to obey you in this thing. Can I encourage you to rise to your feet? Father, I thank you for all of us who are rising to our feet right now as a commitment to obey you. And Father, I just pray for every single one of us who are saying to you, Lord, help me with my disobedience, but I want to obey. That you will work a softening in our hearts, teaching us to trust you, that you have our best interests at heart. Lord Jesus, help me. Come into my life. Dwell with me. Dwell in me. And transform me towards an obedient spirit. Lord Jesus, take over. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You know, as I was responding to God, even my own way, as I stood up and 
the altar call. The Lord prompted me to say this to every one of you who stood up or who didn't stand up. And it's this. He will never shortchange you. God will never shortchange you. The one thing that you and I need to do always is to seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. Then all these things will be added to you. You know, over Chinese New Year, it's a good time to reflect. And one of the things that I reflected upon amidst all the eating and all the enjoyment, nothing wrong with that, was that do I want to live my life on a spiritual plane? Do I want to live my life while my feet is still on the earth and yet my eyes are in heaven? Do I want to live my life with an eternal value tag on everything that I do? Yes, I do physically, I do work, but there is an eternal tag into my career, into my work, my family, my finances. In other words, the Lord challenged me. Continue to live on a spiritual plane. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. God will never shortchange you. All these things, your career, your finances, your health, your family will now be added to you. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Obey first. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that we can gather together as a family, Lord God, and sit at your feet together and learn to follow you all the days of our lives. Father, I pray, Lord God, that you will teach us every day how much you love us. Show us that we can trust you and teach us and give us a spirit that is soft to obey you. So may the love of God the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the enabling, empowering power of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of us until we meet again and all of God's people shout aloud. Amen. 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 Let's give God a good clap offering. God bless you. Go on and continue to enjoy your Chinese New Year and celebrate. See you next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.